You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. edition of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball as we're talking uh, a whole bunch of fun stuff today our final podcast of the month of june actually by the time this goes up it'll be our first podcast of the month of july this is like a this is a cusp podcast this is a podcast of somebody very into astrology would be super pumped with my name is tyler Ron, along with sam dykstra and benjamin hill hi gents how are you hey tyler we, we should say where you're coming to us from um which it, it makes this an international episode. It does. Uh, we're not really getting into the too much, but yes, I get it. You are you are in the middle of Mexico, in I'm, gorgeous I'm, Mexico. I, I'm, I must say, I'm showing you the view from this rooftop balcony that I'm sitting on right now. Just because ordinarily, I mean, you guys get to be in New York City. You're going back in the office soon. You know, you got this cool stuff. Normally, I'm just like in my office of my house, like wah, wah, look at these hats behind me. But I'm actually doing this episode from a very cool place, so I wanted to I wanted to show it off. Yeah, and I hear like birds in the background, which is ah, fantastic. Ambience. Very good gnat that. sound. Yes, and I want one to like just sit on your shoulder. Yeah, I'll just at some point a, in this interview, a yeah. small perico, if you will. Um, no, I'm sure soon you'll hear like a siren and then like a motorcycle. It'll be by, like we're back in Chelsea Market with the windows open. There we go. There we go. It's a throwback <laughs> episode and an international episode all wrapped exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah, I'm currently in, uh, in San Miguel de Allende, uh, which is kind of northwest-ish of Mexico City near Leon. Uh, and it is one of the coolest places I've ever been in my life. Um, broadcasted the final Olympic qualifier for baseball last week. Congratulations to Julio Rodriguez and the Dominican Republic. They are moving on uh, to the Olympic Games. That was very fun. Ben is here as well. Ben, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah, not in Mexico, still in my apartment in Brooklyn. And uh, you mentioned in the lead-in, uh, in the intro you just did, you know, this is a good show for uh, – People are into astrology, so I just want to let everyone know I'm a Scorpio. Um, you know, a very mercurial sort, intense and passionate, elusive and mysterious. Very mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> just wanted to let people know. That's all I got. Um, well, we've got a whole bunch of fun stuff coming up on the show today. Uh, you guys got a chance a little while ago to talk uh, about a very cool Iowa Cubs tradition. We'll get to that coming up here in a little bit. Uh, but time to dive in in our weekly conversation with Ben and talk about feelings of normalcy. We have maybe the most normal feeling uh, MILB.com thing slash now MLB pipeline thing in that our, our main on the road man is going back on the road. Benjamin Hill has his first road trip since 2019 planned. I could not be more excited for you for this, Ben. Um, you finally got one in the works. And really, I mean, coming up, we're recording this on June 30th. It's coming up very soon also, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, we're talking here on a Wednesday. And next Friday, uh, nine days from now, I will be hitting the road. And, um, you know, Tyler, I appreciate the kind words. And I am really excited about it. I think like a lot of things in life, I, I didn't really realize how much it meant to me until I put it together and made it official. Um, goes without saying after the whatever 2020 was, I mean, obviously there was no chance for a road trip for very obvious reasons. Um, you know, the minor leagues has been totally reorganized. You know, we you know, internally have been shuffling around and it's been kind of a transitional season on certain levels. And, uh, you know, I have a kid, a four month old uh, baby, 
in the house. Um, so it just felt like, am I ever going to go on a road trip again with uh, my personal situation, professional situation, the world at large? And um, the answer is yes. Normalcy is returning. And I'm really excited, uh, despite my anxieties on various fronts, uh, to get back out there. I really am excited. And I will spare you all the details of how hard it is to get a rental car these days. I did not realize until trying to book this trip uh, that there is a rental car shortage all over the country, a Carmageddon, if you will. Uh, so I had to tweak this itinerary uh, somewhat so I could drop off the rental car at the same location. Because let me tell you, America, unless you're really rich, you really cannot drop off a rental car at a different location than you picked it up right now. It will cost thousands of dollars if it's available at all. And I don't just, you know, hey, I'm trying to do things on the cheap. Uh, I'm a man of the people. Anyway, where am I going? In and out of Chattanooga, uh, where I'm dropping off or picking up and dropping off the rental car uh, starting in Chattanooga, July 9th. And, you know, a secret, you know, hey, I'm the guy who's been to all the ballparks, um, 177 in total. I've never seen a official Chattanooga lookouts game, despite being there twice. The first time I went there, it got rained out like in the second inning. The second time, due to a scheduling snafu, I arrived when a afternoon game was taking place and missed it entirely, which was uh, pretty embarrassing. You know, I still got some good material from visiting, took a tour of the ballpark, visited the Lookouts' home or uh, former home of Engel Stadium. But fingers crossed, hope springs eternal. Hopefully, I'll finally be able to see a full nine-inning Chattanooga Lookouts game on July 9th. And then the 10th and 11th, a new ballpark, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, just north of Huntsville the return of baseball to the greater Huntsville area since the departure of the late lamented Huntsville stars who have since taken on the form of the Biloxi Shuckers. So really excited to see the Rocket City Trash Pandas at their new ballpark for two nights, July 10th and 11th. Then an off day, literally an off day, teams don't play on Monday anymore, at which point I will drive east, hit the Tennessee Smokies in the greater Knoxville area um, on July 13th, a Tuesday, then on Wednesday, Hickory Crawdads, that'll be my first visit there since 2014. My first visit to the Tennessee Smokies since 2013, uh, the day before. And uh, that's another thing about doing this job so long. Even places I have been to, it's, uh, I really feel the need to get back out to places and see things after many years have passed. So uh, the Smokies, the Crawdads, and then ending with another new ballpark, the Canapolis Cannonballers, formerly the Intimidators, but they rebranded as we've, as you probably know, as we've talked about on this show, as the Cannonballers, and spending two nights there, July 15th and 16th. Uh, I announced the whole itinerary yesterday on social media, Instagram, uh, and Twitter. I understand if you're not on those platforms, maybe you're hearing it now for the first time. Um, I'm sorry for being social media-centric with announcing these things. But trying to get the word out, I am recruiting designated eaters as we speak. That is, of course, uh, at every ballpark I visit, someone who eats the ballpark cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits. Send me an email if you want to be a designated eater, benjamin.hill at mlb.com for Chattanooga, Rocket City, Tennessee Smokies, Hickory Crawdads, Kansas, uh, Kansas City, <laughs> Kannapolis, Cannonballers. Uh, yeah, so I'm excited. That was a lot of words and a lot of information just to say I'm getting back out there. I'm excited. And there will be future road trips after this, probably a little more local, if not actually local to New York City, but ones I can drive to without flying and renting a car. Uh, but first things first, this is the biggest one of the season and it's the one happening soon. Yeah, and it, it's just exciting to talk about 
this again, like I don't even really know where to start, but I, I will start with this, I guess. Um, obviously, seeing Rocket City and seeing Kannapolis and those new ballparks, there's going to be tons to check out. Everything is new to you. That's why you're taking two days apiece to go see those places. My question is with these places like Chattanooga and Tennessee and Hickory, which you have been to, but it was seven, eight years ago. Like, what are the first things you look for when you return to a ballpark over you know, for the first time in that stretch? Well, you know, I think minor league teams, even if they're in the same ballpark and have the same branding, you know, they're always trying to improve their operations in little ways. So it's, it's not uncommon at all to have new additions to the uh, fan experience, you know, stadium renovations, new group areas, new vantage points, you know, so I just try to get all up to date on what the stadium offers at this moment in time. Also, as you guys know, and as a lot of people know, there is, you know, pretty high turnover in uh, the minor league baseball industry in front offices, um, especially now after going through the COVID season and a lot of furlongs and layoffs and people looking for new jobs. Um, so that often just changes the energy of a ballpark in, in all sorts of different ways, just, uh, you know, who's making the decisions, who's running the game day experience, who's, um, you know, providing the entertainment. So it's just staying up to date on what that ballpark is at this moment in time. And um, yeah, when you're, when it's coming up on places I haven't been to in seven, eight, nine years, um, you know, Chattanooga, as I said, I never really technically saw a full game. Um, it'll still seem pretty fresh to me, um, you know, in Chattanooga on a Friday night, hopefully a pretty good crowd, you know, Smokies on a Tuesday, Hickory on a Wednesday might be a little smaller. Uh, I still have an ingrained sort of uh, guilty feeling or anxiety when I show up on, uh, you know, lesser attended nights um, just from doing this job for so long when I was doing these 10, 10 teams and 10 day schedules and I'd show up on a Monday and people would be like, really, you chose to come to our ballpark now. So I still feel like preemptively apologetic when I come to some of these places, like, look, it's all I could work in. You know, I'm a nice guy. Same thing with designated eaters. You know, I, I want to choose everyone and I feel bad when I get you know too many applicants for each location. And uh, I feel bad when I'm not able to visit a team that's in the general area. I just want to please everyone. I'm prone to feeling guilty, but please understand, I'm just doing the best I can. I'm just one man, one simple, flawed human being, just like the rest of us. Well, before we pivot on to our next topic here, Ben, I, I do want to ask you this one. On July 9th, hopefully under clear skies, no rain in the forecast, full nine-inning game for the lookouts is at your feet. Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do as an official – ballpark visit for the first time since 2019 yeah I think on the whole I'll just go right back into the rhythms I think like a lot of things and I think this is people all over the country have felt with you know their hobbies their leisure activities their jobs this feeling of like do I still know how to do this so I think right when I get there and just pulling out my camera my phone and taking pictures of the exterior just sort of going through the process of documenting as much as I can and but I do think um, wherever I am, you know, during the national anthem and when that first pitch comes in, I do think as opposed to immediately being like, oh, I have to meet my designated eater or, um, oh, I need to you know, meet the game day entertainment staff to be part of some between and contest. I think I'll take a moment for sure once it all starts and be like, hey, this is real live minor league baseball. You're back at a ballpark. Don't take it for granted. It's been a long time. It's been almost two years since I've been to a game. Um, a minor league baseball game. And that team was the Hagerstown Suns, you know, who are no longer uh, part of minor league baseball in, in any capacity and no longer really exist in any capacity. So it just goes to show, you know, don't take these things for granted. Wherever you show up, it might be the last, it might be the first time you're ever there, but it also might be the last. Um, I think like any job, as much as I love the road trips after doing it for a decade and um, 
you know, being alone while I'm doing it and just trying to keep my head above water. Often, sometimes I'd just be at a game and kind of wanting it to be over so I could maybe go to Wingstop before it closed and then watch TV in the hotel room while I did work. And um, I think I'll try my best to just be in the moment as much as possible and uh, not wish for a game to end, not feel cynical about having done it so much and uh, just really appreciate it because you just really never know uh, how many more of these opportunities will come about and the way things will continue to change. And right now I'm feeling optimistic. And I think that is great advice for all of us for uh, all of our lives these days post-pandemic is be in the moment a little more, take care of yourself and take care of each other a little more and um, be appreciative of these things that we always thought would be there and then we were without for so long. And um, and that is very cool. And we're so excited to see Ben back on the road. Um, we've also got a story that is up uh, on MILB.com right now. Uh, the San Francisco Giants became the first major league team to announce that they would be wearing uh, a Pride-themed logo on the field. That came at the beginning of this month, Pride Month. Um, and actually, what is so fascinating about that is they are now kind of following in the footsteps of what is now one of their affiliates, a team that did this uh, a few years ago, Andy Eugene Emeralds, who have been such a fantastic team on the, the curve of uh, Copa de la Diversión, which we've talked so much about with their Monarchus uniforms and logos. They've been doing the Pride stuff. Eugene is such a well-run creative forward-thinking organization and Ben for Eugene sort of laying the groundwork for this with their pride uniforms from a couple of years ago tell us about this story that you've got up on uh, on milb.com right now yeah Tyler it's like you said um uh, the Emeralds are now a Giants affiliate the Giants were the first team to wear pride colors on the field but the Emeralds were the first team in all of uh you know affiliated minor league baseball to do it in 2019 and uh, they went bigger and bolder uh, just this past Friday and doing it again, which with, uh, you know, I, I'm not privy to all the details of every Pride Night promotion taking place in the minor leagues. But as far as I can tell from my, you know, trying to keep track of everything vantage point, uh, I think they do one of the most uh, wide ranging and uh, well-developed Pride Nights in all of minor league baseball. They once again wore Pride themed jerseys with the Emeralds team script and rainbow and their Sasquatch logo patch, uh, you know, with the rainbow. Uh, colors, you know, just really bold and, um, you know, no skirting around uh, what the theme of the promo was. It was, you know, Pride Night and to make everyone feel welcome in LGBTQIA plus community and, uh, you know, really make it about those people working with uh, uh, community organizations, Transponder, the HIV Alliance, Eugene Pride. Uh, they also partnered with the Matthew Shepard Foundation for uh, auctioning off the jerseys. They also auctioned off the bases they used and those bases, which I actually used during the game were rainbow colored bases, which I don't know. I think it might've been one of those, uh, let's just do this kind of minor league endeavors. Let's just go ahead and do it. Let's just paint these bases and put them out there and see what happens. But, you know, that, I think it's just really cool uh, to do that, to say, you know, we're doing pride night and we're going to be big and bold about it and leave no question that, that everyone is welcome here. And, um, you know, I talked to a county commissioner who was one of the local politicians at the game. The Emeralds got really good uh, support, Lori Trieger. And, uh, you know, she told me that one of her favorite sayings is there's a difference between saying all are welcome and this was designed with you in mind. And I think that's a, a really good distinction to make. I think all minor league teams and almost all businesses, because to be cynical, they want your money. They're, of course, all are welcome. And uh, I don't think they're going to do anything to explicitly make you not feel welcome. 
But there's a big gap between saying you are welcome and saying this is designed with you in mind. And if you want an example of designing a promotion for a segment of your community that is traditionally underrepresented, marginalized, afraid to live as their full selves, uh, I think it's important to recognize examples such as what took place in Eugene, even if that means dum-dums on Facebook say, why do they have to shove this in our face? It's like, what are you talking about? Have a pride night. It's one game on the schedule. If you're complaining like that, then you just ignore it, just like everything else. I mean, I just don't get the, the feedback on that. I mean, does anyone say dogs are being shoved in people's face on Bark in the Park night? Anyway, I'm ranting now. Just enjoy it for what it is. If it's not your thing because of your personal beliefs, ignore it. But I think it's important to make everyone feel welcome and to continue to make these Pride Night promotions bigger and bolder. Benjamin Hill, you can find on the social medias at Ben's Biz and The Ben's Biz on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. You guys had a very cool conversation today for our interview. Tee it up for us, Ben. Yes, the Iowa Cubs AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs uh, on July 4th uh, or July 4th observed every single season uh, since 2009 have done an on-field citizenship ceremony. So we talked to Scott Saylor, who's been with the team for a long team, always involved in the planning of that, to talk about a truly patriotic and heartwarming endeavor that takes place every year in Iowa. I know other teams do it. Of course, I still think a lot more teams should do it. it is welcoming new citizens to America at a baseball game on or around the 4th of July. So now we talk to Scott Saylor. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Here on the show before the show podcast, Sam Dykstra and I, Ben Hill, are joined by Scott Saylor, the Director of Communications Emeritus with the Iowa Cubs. Uh, still works with the team in perhaps a semi-retired capacity, but uh, if it's a minor league baseball job, he's probably done it in some capacity through the years, been involved with the Iowa Cubs for a lot of years, and uh, also had a um, memorable stint in Battle Creek, and uh, it's always about Battle Creek, Scott will tell you, if, uh, if you follow him on Twitter, which I would recommend. Anyhow, we are here today to talk to Scott Saylor about something that the Iowa Cubs have been doing since 2009. Uh, it's become a July 4th tradition in Des Moines, Iowa, at the Iowa Cubs home of Principal Park, a pregame on-field citizenship ceremony in which um, new, newly arrived people from all over the country um, become officially United States citizens after going through that process. It's a really cool event. 
Uh, I wrote about it last year for MILB.com when the team still did it during COVID uh, on the field, you know, socially distanced. Uh, but this year we're, you know, getting back to normal. So Scott, thank you very much for being on the podcast. It's great to be here. Glad to be with both of you guys here. And uh, yeah, as you said, this is a tradition now uh, over a decade, uh, going back uh, 12 years now, having this citizenship ceremony. Um, give us a little background on, on how it came together. Okay. Uh, Michael Gartner is our principal owner of the Iowa Cubs, and he is friends with Judge Robert Pratt, who happens to be a federal district court judge. Uh, they're good friends. They both also happen to be Iowa Cubs season ticket holders. Uh, and one day over lunch, they were talking about some of the things that the judge does, not just court cases, but some of the, the fun things he gets to do. And one of those things was to, uh, on a regular basis, swear in new citizens uh, to the country to become United States citizens. And that for him is one of the best parts of his job. It is a celebration of stuff and not always in the courtroom is it a celebration. Uh, but when new citizens become American citizens from around the world, that is indeed a celebration. So they're having lunch one day and Michael Gartner says to the judge, well, what if we do that before a baseball game? What's more American than a baseball game? And so the judge thinks about it and we've never done this before. He's always been in a courtroom and, and Michael Gartner being the owner sometimes gets his way on things and he says, well, let's do it. We're going to do it. And this happens to be 2009. The season's underway. And we do it in September before the season ends just to get it in the season and then see how it goes. And it is a fantastic ceremony. It's great. People love it. And we decide we're going to do this again. But Mike Gartner says, OK, you know, what's more American than baseball? Well, baseball on the 4th of July. And if you're going to become a new citizen, what better way to introduce you to becoming an American than at a baseball game on the 4th of July holiday. So since then, since 2009, starting in 2010, until last year, it's always been on our July 4th holiday baseball game. And it is truly a piece of Americana. I think it is the best thing the Iowa Cubs do all season. And one of the best things anybody in minor league baseball does. It is a great reminder of what it is to be an American. Yeah, and this year's iteration, uh, I guess it's the first home game at Principal Park, um, you know, around July 4th uh, on Monday, uh, July, or on Tuesday, July 6th, but that'll be July 4th observed uh, at the Iowa Cubs game. Uh, you know, walk us through uh, how you expect this to go and, you know, how you set up the event and, uh, you know, how it goes down at the ballpark. Okay, yeah, right. Tuesday, July 6th is our closest home game to the 4th of July this year with our scheduling uh, issues and, and new formats. So it's going to be our giant fireworks show. We expect to have a full house. So we've got 25 candidates from 15 different countries that we're going to swear in on the field. Uh, we work closely with the courts and the immigration service. They pick the candidates each year. We average about 30. We cut it to 25 down this year just in case we needed social distance more and have some more room on the field. But they work with us. They select the candidates. They also select somebody to throw out the first pitch at our July 4th game. Uh, and they usually find the great person. We've always had a, a fantastic first pitch. They kind of lean toward a, a military member or somebody that's kind of worked in the area because they kind of know that's their athletic in some way. Uh, we've had a cricket player from Australia throw out a first pitch. Uh, one year it was one of the soccer players from our local soccer team, the Duane Menace. So, so they've done a good job of that. It's a great celebration of being an American in a, in a lot of ways. 
so they give us the names. I've got the names here. I type them into the, the system on our scoreboard. And as their names are being read to become new citizens, we flash them on the video board. Uh, I've never had a typo in 12 years, or at least nobody's told me I've had a typo in 12 years. Uh, it's a fun thing to do. We try to do it big. We've got the, the video board, one with their names on it, one with the, their faces on it. it. It's a great kind of thing and it runs kind of smoothly. We hope after 12 years, we've got it down to a science, down to the minute. Uh, it, it's, it's a neat thing. And one of the neatest things is uh, when the judge declares some new citizens of the United States, they get a standing ovation from our crowd. And you don't get that in a courtroom. Uh, and, and that's kind of neat. It, it's, a, it's a great thing to see in person and to experience uh, virtually, if you can, uh, on the web or somewhere else. Yeah. And, and one of the great things about this is that you guys are essentially developing iCubs fans for life, I would imagine. Like how many people who have been sworn in through this process over the years, have you had come back and say like, hey, this is where I officially, you know, according to the courts, I'm sure they felt like Americans well, well before that, but officially uh, uh, ink on the paper became an American. Like how many people come back after that? We do see a few people come back. They, they come back kind of mostly on their own, but one of the best memories or stories that Mr. Gardner has uh, after this, the ceremony one year, uh, he sees one of the new citizens in the crowd and the guy has a beer in one hand and a baseball in the other. And he sees Mr. Gartner and he recognizes from the ceremony. And he says, I am an American. And that to me is what this is all about. You know, they may not like baseball before they come, but you're right. Once they become an American citizen, they can tell their family, this is where I became an American citizen. And it kind of says, okay, baseball, the 4th of July, it kind of reinforces that it's a little more special than a courtroom. Yeah, no, for sure. And and you said this is chosen by the courts and the immigration folks on their end. They they kind of like shepherd them to you. But do you have any background on like who gets to do this? Is it people who find out and say, hey, I want to hold off a little while so I can participate in this? Like any idea how that works behind the curtain? I think most of the, the candidates want to get this done as soon as possible. So if somebody says the next available date is July 4th, they're going to grab at that. Not I don't think anybody chooses that particularly, but once they get here, they're all smiles. Some of them, it may be their first time ever in a baseball stadium. And so it kind of helps them introduce them into America. Uh, our court system is divided up, not on state lines. So our candidates can come from not only all over Iowa, but sometimes Western Illinois as well. So they might drive three hours to get here, but they do that because they want to become American citizens and they happen to have it at a baseball game is just a bonus. And Scott, um, there have been you know, so many people who have participated in this through the years. Um, I think the count is, um, well, last year was 69 alone, 396 total new citizens um, since the first event. Um, and, you know, talking to you about this in the past and reading about it, um, it's a wildly diverse group of people from literally all over the world. And I think maybe, you know, in the public imagination, Des Moines, Iowa, if people were stereotyping, they might think, oh, that's kind of the Midwest, America's heartland, homogenous. I mean, what does it say about uh, Des Moines and uh, the larger area, you know, that there is such a, a global influx of people and, and uh, what that means to the area, the community and its culture? Des Moines and Iowa overall in general are really more diverse than people give us credit for. We've got people coming all over here because there's a lot of opportunity here in Iowa and the Midwest. 
when I look at the crowd of the of New Sydney each year, uh, they're all smiling. They all kind of have one goal and pro they all have uh, individual stories of why they came here, why they came to America. But for most of them, it's the same reason. It's to make a better life for themselves and their families. So we've got uh, dads and moms and brothers and sisters and, and husbands and wives and aunts and uncles. They're all here for different reasons, but with one goal so they can have a better life. And that kind of is a reminder to us as lucky enough to be born here and become American citizens at birth, how great America still is and what the rest of the world sees us as. We are still the land of opportunity. We're not perfect. Nobody ever says we are. We have our differences. We have our flaws, but we're all striving for one thing, to make this the best place on earth to live, to raise our families, to enjoy our neighbors. And this is a reminder that people are willing to sacrifice a lot to come here and how we are fortunate to be born here and become American citizens at birth. And that's the one thing that I take away from all this. It's just a reminder to how good we really have it, despite all the problems we may see this is still the best place on earth. And to see everybody smiling, and especially after the ceremony, hugging their fans, their, their families, once they get back in the stands, their friends and neighbors, uh, it's a great reminder of what it is to be American. Yeah, and the context of this as well is, and you know, Ben wrote the story on this, and I implore everybody listening right now to go check this out, uh, Ben's story from last year. But how much more is this going to mean this year in 2021? So much of what the celebration of being back in a ballpark is just being in a communal setting again. Um, but you guys went through and, and did this at the ballpark last year. I think there was also some drive through. So this process still continued, but now it's going to be in this communal setting again. How much more is it going to mean in 2021 than maybe any other year you guys have done this? It's going to be a lot. It's going to be a return to normalcy. I think for uh, stuff here at the ballpark, we haven't done a lot of things on the field because of precautions. So this will be one of the, the bigger things we do in a, in a pregame ceremony. Uh, also, a giant 4th of July crowd, which we hope we have for Tuesday night. Kind of people are getting out. We've had some big crowds before. Uh, a return to things that are normal and we hope continue that way. Uh, you mentioned our drive-through ceremonies. Last year, we had a, a citizenship week where people could drive through and they, we had about 486 uh, people get their certificates and become citizens. Uh, last week on the 24th, we had a similar event where we had 141 people come through our parking lot and become citizens. Uh, some of them don't need to have a courtroom type setting with a judge, but for some of them, they do need a judge. And that's the people that will be here on Tuesday with the official judge giving that. Others just need to go through their paperwork, their interviews, the process, and then take the oath of allegiance. They become citizens. They can get it through in a drive through. So the Iowa Cubs with about 600 people becoming citizens here last year and this year, we helped the courts uh, process those folks to become citizens in a time where courtrooms were closed all across the country. And yet in Iowa, we somehow got at least 600 people become citizens in a time where other places are still being slowed down because of our regulations and things like that. So we're happy to help the, the citizenship and the courts get this done. And we're happy to share that with our fans here coming on Tuesday again. And Scott, the last one from me is you said at the, the start of this interview, this is one of the best events in all of minor league baseball on a year to year basis, just because of what it means, the setting, the, the time it takes pl place during the year. Um, but it's also so replicable. 
right? Because there are immigrants all over this country, everybody trying to become uh, Americans, everybody going through that process at every corner. Um, it feels like something almost every minor league team could do, if not every minor league team could do. So what kind of advice would you give to other teams looking at this as a, an opportunity, something they could do at the ballpark in the years ahead? I know Iowa, like you said before, the origins of this were a little special and that the owner was friends with the judge, but it seems like it's the type of outreach that any team could do. So what advice would you give to other mill clubs looking to replicate this themselves? Well, I say go ahead and do it. As you know, uh, imitation is the, the greatest form of flattery in minor league baseball you always copy the best things from other teams. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so contact your courts, your immigration facilities. It is really easy to do once you're all working together for one goal and you have a, a process in, in mind to get those folks on the field. And it is a great thing, a great reminder of what it is to be American. And like you said, it can work all across the country. Immigration is not unique to Iowa or the Midwest. What makes ours unique, I think, or what I like best about ours is uh, Judge Pratt gives a tr tremendous welcoming speech to uh, the immigrants that also includes a, a message for our fans. Uh, after they're officially sworn in as citizens, he talks for five to six minutes about what it is to become American, but also what it is that you bring to us, your benefits, you bring parts of your culture, your heritage to us, and he advises those people never to forget where you come from. You did not uh, give up your allegiance to your home state or your home culture or your home country. You became American citizens. And those things that they bring to America enrich us. He reminds us that we're a country formed on immigration. And I think that message for both the new immigrants and our fans is special. And it kind of chokes you up that this is a reminder of what America is all about for what, 240 years now that we are a nation of immigrants and we all are striving for one goal and we all bring certain qualities and good things from our backgrounds that make us uniquely Americans. And, and that message uh, is good every year, it's, it's timeless. Well, it's an awesome event. It's great to see it back in full force in 2021. I implore anyone listening to this podcast, if you're anywhere near Des Moines, uh, make it out to the ballpark uh, to see the citizenship event, cheer on the new citizens, um, you know, baseball, new American citizens, hot dogs, the 4th of July. It's hard to feel more patriotic than that. And uh, I think we could all use, you know, it's great to feel patriotic and, and just to, to feel it um, in such a natural setting like that is awesome. So Scott, thanks for uh, so much for coming on the podcast. The Director of Communications Emeritus for the Iowa Cubs, Scott Saylor, uh, thanks again for uh, coming on and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. All right. Thank you guys for having me. Good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my privilege to be the first to congratulate you on your new citizenship. A little later this evening, I will again congratulate each of you personally when I present to you your certificate of citizenship, and I certainly look forward to that. I realize that for many of you, a difficult part of the oath of allegiance you just took is the part where you renounced allegiance to any foreign state or sovereignty. I wish to remind you that what you solemnly renounced in that oath is the allegiance to the government of another land. You did not renounce, nor should you ever renounce, the devotion you carry in your heart for the people of your native land. Preserve that always. 
and for the benefit of your children and your grandchildren, as well as for your own benefit, I suggest that you master the English language. Learn it well, but also preserve your native language and heritage and culture. Doing so enriches not only the lives of those in your family, doing so also enriches America and all of us living here. For over 200 years, this country has been blessed with a constant infusion of new people like you from all over the world who brought their languages, their heritages, and their cultural values with them. Today, it is you who bless us. Now, I wish to speak to you as United States citizens, which you now are. You may hear voices in this land say that there is only one true American religion. Do not believe it. As an American, you may freely and openly be a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim, or you may adhere to any other religion, or you may choose to be an agnostic or an atheist. You may hear voices in this land say that there is only one true American way to think and believe about political matters, economic matters, and social matters. Do not believe it. As an American, you may freely and openly adhere to political, economic, and social views on the right, on the left, or anywhere in between. You may hear voices in this land say that there is only one true American set of values. Do not believe it. As an American, you may openly hold beliefs and values different from those of others, even if those of others are shared by many and yours are shared by few. Simply stated, there is no single American way to think or believe. Indeed, conformity of thought and belief would be contrary to the underlying principles of our great nation. The late A. Bartlett Giamatti, a former commissioner of baseball who served as the president of Yale University in the early 1980s, in his welcoming address to the freshman class at Yale in 1981, spoke of the, quote, legitimacy of differentness, end of quote, that is so vital to our American society. Dr. Giamatti warned the Yale freshman about, to use his words, quote, a radical assault on the very pluralism of peoples, political beliefs, values, forms of merit, and systems of religion our country was founded to foster. Dr. Giamatti went on to say, people of different ethnic groups and races and adherents of various religious and political and personal beliefs have a right to coexist as equals under the law and have an obligation to forge the freedoms they enjoy into a coherent, civilized, and vigilant whole. I believe Dr. Giamatti's words on that occasion are well worth remembering on this occasion. And I believe it is also well worth remembering that the courts of this land are here to protect and preserve your right as Americans to freely and openly think and believe as you wish and to be different. 
I welcome you to citizenship and I rejoice in the enrichment that each of you brings to our land. Continuing along on this week's episode of the show before the show, huge thanks to the Iowa Cubs for uh, always telling their story so eloquently about the the naturalization ceremony um, and just such a cool thing. And yeah, like Ben said in our first segment today, that's something that feels like a lot more minor league organizations could and should be doing. Um, There is no more welcoming way to embrace people into the fold and into the fabric uh, and into the tapestry that is American life than through baseball. And I think that would be very cool for more uh, organizations to open that pathway up uh, for those naturalization ceremonies. And so a very cool story there. And, uh, and now you get to listen to uh, me and Sam rant a little bit as we open up three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show, it is very exciting times in the baseball prospect world because today Futures game rosters were announced for the 2021 Sirius XM All-Star Futures game at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. The last two top overall selections, Spencer Torkelson of the Detroit Tigers, Adley Rutschman of the Baltimore Orioles, they will be on the rosters. There are also uh, some very surprising names that have been added to some of these rosters on the the National League side and the American League side. Maybe the most surprising of which is Jason Dominguez from the New York Yankees organization we talked about last week. He has yet to play professional baseball, uh, but has gotten in, of course, now is on a roster for what is now being called uh, the Florida Complex League formerly sort of the Gulf Coast League um, in uh, what is rookie level ball, the, the last remaining rookie levels, the AZ, or the uh, ACL, the Arizona Complex League, and the uh, Florida Complex League. Jason Dominguez is in the roster uh, for this American League side and also on that FCL Yankees roster. We have yet to see Jason Dominguez in a minor league game uh, of a full season value. He's just making his, his short season debut this year in the Complex League. He's on that AL roster, but there are guys, I mean, this is, it feels like just about as packed a Futures game rosters as we have ever seen, which is fantastic because we obviously did not get a Futures game last year. And to see this thing just kind of blown back out uh, into the world on this type of note prospect-wise is really exciting. Sam, what most excites you about these Futures game rosters on the American and National League sides? I mean, honestly, right now, it's it kind of being in that dream space, that that fantasy space. That uh, It's a big reason why people play fantasy baseball and fantasy sports in general is being able to piece together a lineup and just looking at these rosters and thinking, like, how would I go about this if I was Vinny Castilla or – uh, Latroy Hawkins, the man, the two managers, of the AL and, and NL teams. And it's really difficult. Like I, I put together a lineup for the AL and I left off Riley green and I felt really bad about that. Uh, and I had some people saying, well, like, well, this is how you could get him on there. I'm like, yeah, but then you got to leave some other people off. I, I included Jason Dominguez in my starting lineup just because like you said, Tyler, like he's just getting his career started. I think today he's playing his third minor league game ever and it's playing it's in the florida complex league he hasn't played anywhere with a real crowd yet uh but the tools are great there they are you know he's one of the most hyped prospects in baseball this is an exhibition game at the end of the day it is to get all these guys on one field see how they measure up against each other the, there are people who want to see jason dominguez and that's not really going to happen in the fcl I, I know why he's there it's for his development to get his feet under him. But this is a real chance for after him being compared to Mike Trout and Mickey Mantle and and some of these other greats of the game, 
uh, for folks to finally see him. And yeah, he might only get two at bats. He might not ever have the ball hit to him in the outfield. We, we may never get to see his speed or his arm uh, compete. This is just a seven inning game. It's an exhibition. He's not guaranteed to start by any means. But even the idea of seeing Jason Dominguez uh, on the same roster as Riley Green, as a Jared Kelnick, as a Julio Rodriguez, uh, pick and choose who you want in that outfield. Uh, it's going to be spectacular. Maybe he bets in front of Adley Rutschman. How crazy would that be? Uh, the one thing I love doing this is just thinking about how these lineups are going to work, how they're going to turn over for all intents and purposes. And really, and not even that, like, Strictly, there are no all-star games in the minor leagues this year. This is our minor league all-star game. Uh, it's always kind of treated in that way because guys are coming from all different leagues and it's always the top prospects. Um, but I think this AL versus NL format really lends itself to the best of the best being on the field. Uh, it used to be done in a U.S. versus world way. And and that was great because you got to see guys from different countries compete. And, uh, you know, that, that was fun in its own way. But Sometimes the world team can get a little stretched at the end of its bullpen or at the end of its bench because you're trying to find guys from different countries. Now it's just pretty much the best of the best uh, when it comes to prospects. Uh, it's seeing Adley Rutschman hit potentially next to Spencer Torkelson. I don't know how you don't go those guys three, four in an AL lineup. Maybe you don't because you got Bobby Witt Jr. in that lineup as well. Uh, you got Julio Rodriguez, we already mentioned, Kelnick as well, uh, Riley Green. I think has been hitting primarily leadoff uh, at double A Erie, but he could be a number three hitter on almost any team he's part of. Uh, and then you look at the arms, this is a seven inning game. So it is going to be shorter. I don't think we're going to see anybody go more than an inning. We might see most guys going two thirds of an inning just to get them some work and get them in the game because they're traveling all the way to Denver just for this thing. It would, it would be a real shame uh, if you left the game with still arms in the bullpen. Um, but even looking at this NL side, I mean, they could go, Max Meyer to Nick Lodolo to Matthew Libertor to Cade Cavalli uh, to Ethan Small to Roenzi Contreras. All of those guys are either top 100 prospects or just outside the top 100 or the best pitching prospects in their system. I didn't even mention Quinn Priester. I don't think he he's a higher ranked prospect than Contreras. As good as that AL lineup can be, that NL pitching staff, you know, if they're only going for two thirds of an inning, if they're only facing three or four batters and they're rearing back and throw it as hard as they can, they're going to be on national television really for most of them for the first time in their careers. Uh, this is the year of the pitcher, right? The year of the pitcher part two. Uh, if you thought it was tough to hit in 2021 to begin with, it's going to be really tough when guys only have to go in short stints and they are that good because or they're, they're such good pitching prospects because of what they have in the tank already shorten up uh, those stints and you're going to see some really, really special stuff. Um, if you're going to the game, always keep an eye out on BP. Again, I think Spencer Torkelson could have one of the best uh, BPs in futures game history, potentially the one I always go back to, which I mentioned the other night on Twitter was Joey Gallo in 2014 when the man hit a truck and uh, what was essentially his own version of home run derby, but Torkelson, Bobby Witt Jr., Rodriguez, all of these guys hitting in the same BP session could be really, really special. Um, one other name I want to throw out here real quick, not necessarily a top pro prospect, but just a great story uh, is Jake Berger of the Chicago White Sox system. Just um, wrote a about him last night for our prospect round of Jake Berger's June 
has been absurd. I think he's got a 998 OPS in June. He has been fantastic. And a guy who dealt with a lot of injury stuff. Yeah, exactly. I'm very glad you highlighted him. Yeah, because at this time last year, I wrote a story about him last July. The The White Sox weren't bringing him to their alt site because of all the injuries that he'd had. He pretty much had his entire 2017-2018 wiped out. Uh, or excuse me, 2018-2019 wiped out. And then 2020 never got a chance to come back. Uh, they weren't going to give up an alt site spot for him. So he's going to go play in a collegiate league just to get at bats. Uh, and eventually worked his way to the alt site and instructs and, and got some time this spring. Now at AAA. Now he's going to the Futures game. Like that's that's great. Obviously, we would like to see him rewarded with a major league spot, and especially since the White Sox are competing for a playoff spot, uh, would be great to see him get that ultimate reward. And maybe that's coming at some point. But for him to get to travel to what is essentially an All Star Game atmosphere after all he's been through is a testament to the work he's done and and how that progress has been made. I mean, like you said, Tyler, he's off to a tremendous start there at Triple A Charlotte defensively the reports have been good about him at third base everybody thought when even when he was drafted he would have to move over to first given all the injuries he's had the fact that he's been good defensively is great so it's not even just the top names that you that we've been talking about for a long time you might recognize but anybody who makes this roster is there for a reason uh and it's a great reason and i can't wait to see the the game and tyler you'll be there in denver obviously as, as our, the denver native on this i podcast. will i will what are you looking forward to most about seeing these guys in person? Yeah, I mean, I think the the reality, as we kind of discussed with Ben um, last segment, is that I haven't been to a minor league baseball game in two years either, you know? Um, and especially given the fact that now my state does not include any minor league baseball teams of an affiliated kind. We have partner league teams, obviously, in uh, in Grand Junction and uh, in Colorado Springs and another one coming to just north of the Denver metro area. But uh, it's been a long time since I've seen prospects in person. That's what's going to excite me the most, I think, is seeing all of this talent aggregated in one place. I've never been to a futures game before. Um, and it's always been, you know, watching reports from you at past futures game and all that, the, the energy of having so much young talent in a ballpark at the same time is something that's always fascinated me about a futures game. Um, and so that I think is going to be the biggest thrill from the prospect side of things. I'm excited to see a lot of these guys who we have talked to on podcasts in the past. A lot of guys we've written stories about, you know, Kate Cavalli, who we had on the shore on the show on the shore, maybe he's on the shore. I don't know what he's planning on after the futures game. Maybe he's going to take a little vacation. Um, but you know, the, the guys who I remember having conversations with who you think, Oh, that's going to be an easy dude to root for as his role goes along. Ryan Valade, um, you know, talking about Jake Berger. I remember just having a conversation with Jake Berger during his uh, debut season in the White Sox organization. And you get a chance to talk to some of these guys, especially very early on in their careers and think to yourself, that's somebody that I'm going to be able to pull for. That's a, a guy who's got a very good head on his shoulders or a very good uh, perspective on his career. Uh, those guys, I think, are some of the most fun um, for us to watch as they grow. And then, you know, you get your Adley Rushman's friend of the show guy who was on the show last year, Jerry Kelnick, who was on the show. Um, Julio Rodriguez, of course, who we've had on the show uh, and gotten a chance to talk to. Bobby Wood Jr., all these guys who we've seen as they have started to go from this is how highly touted this guy is coming into pro baseball to now this is the body of work this guy is building in pro baseball. Um, that really excites me as well. So I'm, I'm super pumped to see uh, all of those dudes. Literally the only thing that is a bummer about this Futures game is that you will not be there. It's the only thing that I'm bummed about with this Futures game in 2021. I was going to stuff you full of breakfast burritos and voodoo donuts until you oh, God. And uh, which is what we did the last time you came and visited me. Um, and so at some point we'll do that. It just won't be on the way to the Futures game. Yes, no, that, I will be very jealous, especially 
because I think batting practice, one thing I, I will say this to you, and I'll, I'll say this to the folks at home too, um, but if you do go, batting practice is one of the events of the year. Like the game itself is great, uh, whatever, but like it's where you get to see the raw power of some of these guys and they treat it. Oh yeah. Like a showcase. And especially at Coors Field and especially if they are using non-humidor baseballs uh, for batting practice, like maybe they will for the home run derby. Batting practice will be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those times where um, you can tell the guys are having fun with it. Yes. Some of them are trying to just go through the the rhythm of it, but they're competing with one another. They're, they're doing things at batting practice that they wouldn't normally do. You're not normally going to have two number one overall picks in the same session. We're going to get that in Denver. Um, so whether you're at the stadium or following up on coverage later, there's just so many ways to tackle this one event. And I, I'm very jealous that you're going to be there. I'm very excited that you're going to be there. Um, nobody can cover, you know, an event, a minor league event in Denver quite like you can, but uh, anybody who's going to be watching at home. Coors. Yeah. Very excited. Uh, be sure to tune in days. for that game. On, I believe on June 11th. We're going to have a, a whole bunch of fun. Yeah. All-star Sunday, same day as major league draft, by the way, we've got the all-star game uh, in the afternoon and the MLB first year player draft coming up that night at uh, the convention center in the Belco theater. So I'll be there for both of those things. It is going to be a packed Sunday and I'm quite pumped for it. Uh, and so with that, we'll move to strike two and a guy who we have already touched on in this segment in this week's episode of the show before the show, the man himself, Julio Rodriguez is on the move. He's actually already moved up from uh, high a Everett to double a Arkansas. Uh, I got a chance to talk with Julio a little bit last week, finally met him in person, texted you immediately that I had finally met Julio, one of our good pals, met him in the hotel in Puebla during the, uh, the Olympic qualifier. He kind of gave me a little bit of a hint that he was headed to Arkansas straight from that Olympic qualifier uh, instead of going back to Everett. And it is extremely well-deserved. Uh, Julio not only headed to double A, but in his first game at double A, eh, two for five, double RBI. It's super easy sport. Uh, through his 28 games played, in Everett, he batted 325, 410, 581 with 16 extra base hits of his 38 total hits. Uh, was absolutely spectacular there. Moves up off to a good start through his first game in double A. Um, and he will be a member of that Dominican Republic roster for the Tokyo Olympic Games. So it's really only probably going to be two weeks worth of games in Arkansas before they have to get that whole roster together and head over to Tokyo for the quarantine ahead of the Olympics and all of that. Um, but seeing Julio on an international stage, I think is tremendous for baseball. And to see him on the double A stage is tremendous. If you're a Mariners fan, he is now one step closer to being in that same outfield as Jared Kelnick. And we could see them in the Futures game in the same outfield together as well. Sam, your uh, your thoughts on Julio finally making that move up to double A. We had texted about this before that qualifier. You said to me, the Mariners should probably just send them straight to Arkansas from that thing. And, and essentially that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, I, I always had Julio as somebody circled that could move quickly. Being at high A, that's where he ended 2019, right? So like, yes, he is still plenty young. Um, even for that level, he was young. He just turned 20 in December. So he'll be 20 for this entire season. Uh, but still like as, for somebody of his talents, and this is somebody they sent to the alt site last year. So they knew how advanced he was sending him at, at high a felt a little conservative to me. Uh, so when that does feel conservative, it's, it is great to see him take off the way he did. Like you mentioned at, at high a Everett, you know, with a 581 slugging percentage, he had that, Three, four, five slash line we love to see. Three twenty-five batting average, four ten OBP, five eighty-one slugging, uh, six homers in twenty-eight games. So basically, ticking all the boxes that we expect for somebody who could be a plus hitter, 
plus to plus plus power uh, at the top top level. Um, now I think is where he's going to get that challenge, but he's also going to get that challenge in, in these Olympic qualifiers. I mean, Tyler, when you were following those games, I mean, he was going, not only were fellow or like former major leaguers on his team, he's going up against former major league pitchers. How do you feel like he held up in that environment? Cause that is going to, is where we get to see who, who Leo Rodriguez is going to be. It's not against hitting high A pitching. It's in these Olympic qualifiers and now at double A. Well, and you know, what was so interesting. I feel like he was very much, uh, a prospect in how the results were Julio in the Americas qualifier uh, over the course of, I believe six games in total for his team. He batted 458, 480, 708, like just absurd numbers. Then, goes on to the final qualifier and is playing in just a three-team uh, around Robin and then a championship game. Uh, and Julio struggled a little bit. And he was facing a lot of guys with major league experience, a lot of guys with high minor league experience. Only got one hit out of 10 at-bats. But the thing that I love most about Julio Rodriguez is – Still found ways to contribute. He only went one for 10 of the plate, but he walked a couple of times, uh, was hit by a pitch in one at bat, found his way on, reached on an error one time. A lot of hustle plays, very good base running, had a spectacular catch uh, in the final game against Venezuela, a full out, full sprint dive that saved extra bases uh, late in the innings in that game. Um, just really did it all. And that to me is the mark of a future superstar is the type of guy who even at 21 years old, when he's batting in the case of the America's qualifier and the three hole in a lineup in between guys like Melky Cabrera and Jose Bautista uh, and Juan Francisco. If you are in a lineup like that, you're 21 and you've got that talent level, that base, and that amount of respect from your teammates and your coaches, um, that's incredible to me, A. And B, if you can find ways to contribute, even when you're not hitting the baseball exactly how you want to, that's the mark of a mature talent to me and uh julio was was absolutely outstanding and it was great to watch him and i think yeah that very much gives you an idea of what can this guy do against talent that is advanced for where he is in his career and he acquitted himself really well in both and i am so excited to see him uh in the olympic games i think it's so great for baseball i think having an dominican republic in the olympic games is so great for baseball and he'll go up against japan in the the baseball opener for tokyo um which is outstanding because you're going to get to see julio against the best pitchers in baseball who are not in the major leagues i mean that roster uh for for samurai japan which is the nickname for japan's national team um it is loaded it is an all-star team and i'm really excited to see him uh in that group um there's two groups that'll that'll open for round robin play in olympic baseball and uh that's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun and it's just a, a very exciting time for one of the most exciting young talents in baseball yeah i think when we look back on this year like you might look at his player page and realize there were 28 games at high a and then maybe 30 games at double a and maybe he ends the year at triple a i think he's certainly on on course to do that um and it might be like why were was there so few games he must have been injured but no it's because he got these experiences elsewhere and this could be the most important year of julio rodriguez's career essentially being put on that big stage is going to matter if seattle is going to be a contender we're already seeing them hovering around 500 right now kind of a, ahead of schedule in many ways and that's with kelnick coming up and then going back down like their top top talent isn't there yet um, so if Julio Rodriguez is going to an Olympics, he's already gone to an Olympic qualifier thinking I am putting my country on my back. Uh, I'm one member of a team putting my country on my back. And now all of a sudden going to 
one of the biggest stages of the sport. You mentioned opening up against Japan. That atmosphere is going to be insane, whether there are that many fans in the crowd or whatever. There are going to be a lot of cameras, for sure. There are going to be a lot of eyeballs on that game. Um, being able to perform to that level is going to matter if three, four years down the road, we see the Mariners really competing for a World Series title in the way that we we haven't for basically decades at this point. It is very crazy to say that about the Mariners, but uh, yeah, it has been. It has been, uh, sorry, Mariners fans, I don't need to tell you it's been 20 years since that 01 team. You're very aware of it, and we don't need to dredge it up for you. Um, strike three this week, Sam. There have been more prospect movements um, across baseball. The uh, St. Louis Cardinals have done a lot, moving uh, multiple third basemen around in their organization. Most notably, Nolan Gorman gets the bump up to AAA Memphis, uh, and Jordan Walker is now with High A Peoria. Give us your impressions of where those two guys are, especially because of where their major league club finds itself right now. I think coming into this season, everybody sort of assumed, ah, well, the Cardinals, they traded for Nolan Arenado. That team's going to run away with the National League Central, and Arenado's going to be a Cardinal for life, and he'll go into Cooperstown, and the Cardinals had him, blah, blah, blah. It has not played out that way. Uh, the Cardinals so far this year have really struggled uh, to not only, you know, build and get into first place and put some ground between themselves and everybody else in that division, they right now are in fourth place and a sub-500 team. And the reason I bring that up is Nolan Arenado has an opt-out that he can exercise at the end of this season. So theoretically, this would be almost kind of a rental for the Cardinals. If they don't get to a situation where they're winning the division or they're in the postseason or whatever, there's a chance Nolan Arenado is not back there in 2022. And all of a sudden, a door we thought was closed for Nolan Gorman or was closed for Jordan Walker, whoever it is, maybe is open again. Your impressions on these moves? Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I didn't even consider that when you were talking about what the Cardinals need right now. They need offense. And getting Nolan Gorman one step closer to the major leagues is an opportunity to potentially – add some offense. Now there are some complications involved this year in terms of calling guys up. Um, but the easiest way to do that is, is to bring them to AAA. Like the most call-ups this year are going to come from AAA just because of COVID restrictions and protocols and all that kind of stuff. And then we require some quarantining. If you're going to bring somebody up from AA, what can Nolan Gorman do? He can slug the baseball. Um, we knew that coming into the year, sending him to AA, not necessarily an aggressive assignment, but a, a strong one, a, definitely going to be a challenging one. And then in June, he started to really go off in ways that I won't say we expected, but we knew he could be capable of as things went on. From June 8th to June 12th, the man hit seven home runs in five games, including three in one game against Arkansas on June 12th, uh, and then continued to be you know perform solidly the rest of the way there. Uh, with Springfield leading to his promotion uh, to Memphis. Uh, he ended up with a 288, 354, 508 uh, slash line. He had 11 homers in 43 games. So 17 extra base hits total, 11 of those were, were home runs. Uh, Nolan Gorman is a slugger, pure and simple. He is a, also a third baseman. Now, I talked to him in the spring after the Nolan Arenado trade went down. He kind of joked about, does anybody have Dustin Pedroia's number? I might have to play some second base. He said he was mostly joking at the time, but also a little serious. He knew he might have to play a new position uh, in order to make his way to St. Louis. He has played a little bit of a second. Uh, so if the Cardinals decide, hey, listen, you, you're still a little bit raw at the Keystone, but we need your left-handed bat in the lineup. It's a lot easier to do now that he's at Memphis. We'll see what happens so far. Uh, smallest of samples, he's one for two uh, with a walk in his first game. We'll see where, where things go from there. 
Hall of Famer. Yeah. Call him up now. 500 now. hitter, Sam, with a 667 OPS. Might as well yes. Why, why are they holding him down? I have no idea. <laughs> um, but that that's essentially one thought here is if the Cardinals are going to try to make a run right now, I know the Brewers are in first place in the NL Central, but the Cardinals, for all intents and purposes, do have the talent. They just don't have the performance this year. Gorman could be somebody who gives them a shot in the arm, as does his, as could his buddy, uh, Matthew Liebertor, who now they are paired together. They're both going to the Futures game as well, so those guys know each other very, very well. Uh, but quickly on, on Jordan Walker, who you also mentioned there, who got called up. He's the number six Cardinals prospect right now. Um, was the 21st overall pick in 2020. Again, somebody whose profile screams power slugger. Uh, is he going to hit enough to make the most of that power? We're going to have to wait and see. But the results so far, I will tell you what they were at Loway Palm Beach. Uh, obviously, they were they were really good over 27 games. He hit 374, had a 475 on base percentage, almost make reaching base in half of his plate appearances. Slugged 687. Uh, which is saying something for the old Florida State League, now known as Louis Southeast. Um, but the exit velocities coming out of him from that place were elite to begin with. I mean, we're talking about multiple balls hit at 100-plus mile an hour. So it's not just that he was getting lucky. It's not just that um, you know he was hitting weak home runs or something like that. Even on his regular hits, he was really getting behind the ball and putting up some spectacular exit velocity, which is what we want to see. It's one thing to scout the stat line, and it's something you try to avoid, although it can lead you down a path to say, okay, why is this guy doing so well? When you saw Jordan Walker get off to a big start, you wanted to dive deeper into that data, um, which is something we can do right now at low A Southeast, and the exit velocities, like I was saying, were really something special. Now he'll be – I'll be interested to see what he'll do away from the automatic uh, balls and strikes system that is existing right now in Florida. Uh, what does that mean for his OBP? Um, what happens when he's facing a little bit more experienced pitching um, going from low A to high A? It's not a huge jump, but it is a jump for sure. And, and guys typically throw a little bit more around the strike zone at high A than they do at low A. So what does that mean for him? We'll have to see, but all the pieces are there right now for Jordan Walker to uh, jump in prospect rankings, jump into consideration. And who knows, maybe the log jam we're talking at third base from a couple of years from now isn't Nolan Arenado versus Nolan Gorman. It's Nolan Gorman versus Jordan Walker. And how do all those pieces fit together? That, that's a good problem for the Cardinals to have. It's a ways off yet. Jordan Walker just turned 19 in May. Um, but all the pieces are lining up for you know a, a real log jam there at the hot corner uh, for St. Louis. And that'll do it for Three Strikes on this week's episode of The Show Before the Show. We'll be back to wrap things up next. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. of the miners in which all of you out there in Radioland must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One was true blue, the others are red herrings. In last week's segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Yakima Cherry Blossoms. B. The Lancaster Red Roses. C. The Fort Brady Flying Daffodils. 
You can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, and if you pick the Red Roses of Lancaster, B, you've picked the winner. Based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania from the early years of the 20th century into the Kennedy administration, the Red Roses took their name from the House of Lancaster and its floral symbol during England's War of the Roses. If you think this was the only team in minor league baseball history to draw its identity from a 15th century civil war in another country, may the crown grant you clemency for your error. As it was in the bloody fallout of the rule of a feeble monarch at the close of the Middle Ages, so it was in the minors for several decades in the States. The Lancaster Red Roses had an arch rival in the York White Roses. The two clubs duked it out in the Tri-State League, the Interstate League, the Piedmont League, and the Eastern League. Over their long history, long for a baseball team, that is, if not a British dynasty, the Lancaster Red Roses were not known to wilt, reigning as league champs six times. They were subject to affiliations with six major league teams, although never the Royals, and counted among their number such princes of baseball as Stan Kovaleski, Nellie Fox, George Kell, and, as manager, Johnny Pesky. But perhaps the crowning moment for the Red Roses was during an Interstate League Finals game against the White Roses in 1943, when another historic war affected the rivalry. The two clubs sat through a blackout delay after air raid sirens sounded, then waited another 20 minutes to find a new second base bag. The original was stolen in the dark. Lancaster went on to win the series and the war. They three-peated in the Interstate League from that season through 45. But just as the House of Lancaster and the House of York were united under Tudor rule, the Red Roses and White Roses were eventually united in one-door rule as both franchises exited the minors in the 1960s. And that is the dirt on the Red Roses. Now, on to next week's question. Which of these was a minor league team that foreshadowed the branding of a future major league team? A. The Charleston Marlins B. The High Desert Diamondbacks C. The Kicking Horse Rockies Want to know the answer? Get out your crystal ball and look into the distant pasts. Look at the future, which is now also the past. Or, if that's too confusing, just tune into next week's edition of Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is singing with his locksmith, and they're way off-key. Final segment on this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, I was telling Sam a minute ago that uh, there are these two gentlemen working on the roof across the street from where I'm currently staying. And they definitely have walked to the corner of that roof and looked over here a couple of times. Like, what is this dude just yelling on this rooftop for across the street? Why is he staring at his laptop and yelling randomly? Don't worry. I'm just weirdly talking about baseball. Um, one thing that we forgot to mention earlier, there is a new edition of the ballpark guide uh, up on MLB.com right now. Uh, Benjamin Hill's ballpark tours around the uh, minor league baseball nation continue with Albuquerque's Rio Grande credit union field at isotopes park. Uh, the home, of the isotopes is a gem in the minor league baseball crown. It is absolutely gorgeous. You can go check that out. The latest edition of ballpark guide forgot to mention it earlier, but go read it right now. And if you are uh, making a trip to these parks, um, this is your uh, resource. This is all you need is Benjamin Hills ballpark guide, which is going to be uh, up and across the site from now through the end of all these parks. And of course, we're so thrilled for Ben to get a chance to be back on the road again soon. Uh, MILB.TV, your place to catch all of the best of minor league baseball. Hey, this weekend, 
There's an MILB.TV flash sale, which is happening. The yearly price has dropped to just $24.99. So if you have been wondering about Mild TV, you get a chance to check it out for the rest of the season, just $25. Sale starts Thursday at noon. So by the time you are tuned in, it'll already be underway. It'll go through Sunday this weekend, uh, the first weekend of July. So go grab your Mild TV subscriptions for the uh, end of the season. Sam, what are you watching on MILB.TV this week? Yeah, I mean, normally we like to come to you with like, here's a matchup to watch. And there are some of those going on. You know, Grayson Rodriguez is going to pitch a couple of days. I've, I've talked about him before. He's going to face Akron um, if that's one you really want. But the one I think I, I will implore you all to watch, especially after this episode today, is Iowa's uh, ceremony. The naturalization ceremony will be July 6th. It will be before you guys get to hear us next Um I don't know if that's going to be fully televised. A lot of pregame ceremonies are available on MILB TV. They'll throw up the feed early. You can tune in a little bit early. Um, and if you're able, please tune into that. I, I do think it is something very special. Um, it's great that they do it around the 4th of July and all that means for all of us Americans, whether we were born here or, uh, you know, have emigrated here from all corners of the, the globe. Um, but tune in and just see how special this is. Like Ben said before, I believe there are 25 people uh, who will be sworn in for that from 15 different countries. Get to see it for yourself. See how special it is for them and, and how special it is for our entire country to welcome them in and, and bring them into our big American family uh, and everything that means. So I, I'll circle that one uh, next July 6th uh, for the Iowa Cubs. Try to tune in as early as you can to catch that ceremony. Uh, Tyler, what do you got your eye on? Mine is kind of a cop-out answer, but Julio Rodriguez now with AA Arkansas. They are on the road at Tulsa this weekend. You can catch those games at MILB.TV as the uh, Travelers and the Drillers face off. Then an off day on Monday and coming up next week, uh, Julio will return home for the first time with the Travs as they take on the Frisco Rough Riders uh, back home in uh, in Arkansas. And so it'll be uh, a fun time if you're a Mariners fan or somebody who's followed, you know, even just over the last few years with the Mariners with Kyle Lewis and Evan White and Jared Kelnick and all these guys who have gone through Seattle. Um, got another one there in Julio who makes his uh, home debut coming up next week and is currently in the process of making his double-A debut this week with the Arkansas Travelers. We were just saying off uh, air before we started recording this segment, Julio's month – in July, he'll get to make his home double-A debut. He'll get to go to the Futures game, and then he'll get to go to the Olympics. Like, not a whole lot better month for a prospect uh, or for a baseball player at large. Should be pretty fun for Julio Rodriguez and uh, for Mariners fans as well. So that'll do it for this week's episode of the show before the show next week back to normal i'll be back home we'll be uh talking about things as we get set for all-star weekend for the futures game for the mlb draft all of it uh with more fun to come as the uh summer gets deeper and deeper man it feels good to be talking about baseball uh he's sam dykstra i'm tyler mon get in touch with the show podcast at milb.com sam's on twitter at sam dykstra milb i am at tyler mon and uh we'll talk to you next week 